Amen. Wonderful. So good to be with you tonight. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Let me say this before I get started tonight. Last Wednesday night, I came to church with a heaviness on my heart. And that heaviness did not leave me till Thursday morning. And I was reminded that there are some of you who may come on Sundays and Wednesdays with heaviness on your hearts too. And I want you to know that's okay. It's okay to be dealing with stuff and not to have everything all figured out even when we come to the house of God. Better to be here and let God minister to us than to stay away until we get everything all okay. And I say that too because of what I said before even our worship time tonight. God is a God who allows us to rest in him and to find our rest in him. He's a God that allows us to catch our breath when we need to catch our breath and to take that break. And that's even what Revelation 10 is about tonight. After a very intense chapter 9, we come to the second intermission, if you will, in the book of Revelation tonight, Revelation chapter 10. And here in this chapter, we're going to see the glory of God, the greatness of God, and the gravity of God. In fact, the greatness of God is literally going to be dripping off of every verse in this chapter. And there's going to be two primary things that we're going to look at in this chapter. That you and I can absorb the glory of God in his presence. And you and I can absorb the gravity of God through his word. And there again, then, you have this marriage, if you will, of worship and the Word of God. The exact thing that we try to maintain a balance of here at the Oasis, that worship drives us to the Word and that the Word then drives us into the presence of God to worship, and they complement each other. And throughout many of the passages of Scripture in Old and New Testament, you see where these two come together, and you see it again in Revelation chapter 10. The glory of God, the greatness of God, and the gravity of God. Let's begin then in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw another powerful angel descending from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like pillars of fire. We want to talk about our God a lot tonight. No better subject, right? And, and the greatness of God can be seen in the fact that he is a God who allows us to catch our breath. He's a God of rest. He's a God that we can rest in him. As he said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I'll be your resting place, you see. 
You can find rest in me. I will quiet your mind, quiet your heart, quiet your soul, quiet your spirit. We also see the glory and the greatness of God here in verse 1. How could John see this angel? Only because God revealed it and allowed him to. This isn't just sight from a physical perspective. This word speaks about spiritual perception. John isn't just physically seeing something here. He's able to spiritually perceive something and have insight into something. And how does he do it? Because God gave him that ability to be able to see. When you and I can see things spiritually, when we can go into the Word of God and see things, it's because God gives us that ability through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we see his greatness in what we can see. And what did he see? He saw a powerful angel. There's many powerful angels in the Bible. But let's not forget something here that, again, speaks to us about the greatness of God. This angel wasn't powerful in and of himself. The only reason the angel was powerful was because he got that power from God. No one gets power Apart from God, God is the one who dispenses all power, the power that you and I have to live our life. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that dwells in each of us is from God. God is our power. And therefore, it even speaks to the greatness of God when we talk about anything that has power, including this powerful angel, because the angel, God is power from God. And God is the Almighty, the one who rules over all. This powerful angel was descending from heaven, a messenger of God, and he was wrapped in a cloud. This signifies the divine presence of God. We're going to go to the Old Testament in just a minute and see this. With a rainbow above his head. This is symbolic, obviously, of God's faithfulness and mercy. When he told Noah, I'm going to set that rainbow and that's going to be a sign to you that I will never again destroy the earth by a flood. It was a symbol of God's faithfulness and his mercy that God could be counted on, that God could be relied on, that God could be depended on. Again, other aspects of how great he is, how glorious he is. Think of how our lives would be different if we weren't sure about God, if we weren't sure about his character, about his integrity, if we weren't sure about his word, because we put everything on the line because of what God says. We're basing everything, our salvation, our eternity, where we're going to end up in eternity, we're basing it all on God's reliability and dependability. We're basing it all on that. And that goes back to how great and glorious he is. He can be counted on at all times. His face, the angel's face, was like the sun. Because this angel came from the presence of God, he literally absorbed the glory of God by being in his presence, and it changed his countenance. This radiance reflected the glory and majesty of the God in whose presence he was dwelling in before he descended from heaven. 
Do you know that you and I can absorb the glory of God when we spend time in God's presence? Our countenance can look different. Our attitude will be different. Our perspective will be different. Our outlook will be different. People in the Bible knew that there were followers of Christ who had been with Jesus. Why? Not because of what they said, but just the way they acted and the way they looked and their attitude and everything. It was all there. They, they just, they had a, something about them that people knew they were coming from the presence of God. So keep your finger there and go back with me to the book of Exodus, to this very familiar story. Chapter 24, beginning at verse 15. Exodus 24, beginning at verse 15. The Bible says Moses went up to the mountain, and notice a symbol of the divine presence, a cloud covered the mountain, the Shekinah glory of God. And the glory of the Lord resided on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called Moses from within the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in plain view of the people. Moses went into the cloud. He literally went into the presence of God when he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And we're not going to turn there, but you know the story. When he came down from the mountain the second time after the first tablets were broken and he goes up to get them the second time, the Bible says when he came down off the mountain, his face shone like the sun. There was a difference about the countenance of Moses, and he couldn't tell it, but the people who were viewing him knew that he had been in the presence of the Lord. That's exactly what's happening here in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 10. Where was this angel coming from? The presence of the Lord. And everything about this angel points to the fact that he has absorbed the glory of God and he's carrying that, he's radiating that as he comes to John. Now, not exactly in the same way, but you and I, when we spend time in the presence of our glorious Lord, we can absorb that glory too. Like I said, it, it can change our very countenance. It can put a smile on our face. It can, it can put joy in our heart. It can change our attitude, our outlook, our perspective. Everything can change. Our circumstances might not necessarily change, but we are changed in the presence of the Lord. And God's presence can change a person like nothing else or no one else can. Now, you and I all know this dynamic, though, because it even happens between humans. There are some human beings that you and I can spend time with and have intimate connection with, and we can walk away from them either refreshed 
and encouraged and strengthened and just feel different by being in their presence or we can spend time with other people and we can walk away from them feeling very worn down and weighed down and discouraged and depressed and maybe even negative. One of two things, that same dynamic happens between human beings whereby spending time in certain people's presence, it changes us, right? But there's no one like God. No one like God. When you and I or an angel or any other created being spends time in the presence of God, there's no one in the universe that can transform us simply by spending time in his presence like God can. And so that's where we begin to see in this chapter as we take a break from the horrific scene on earth that we're seeing God's greatness and we're seeing the glory of God as it's absorbed by this angel as he comes to John. Let's move on. Back to Revelation chapter 10. The other characteristic of this angel is his legs were like pillars of fire. This is a manifestation of God's authority and power because we're going to see that this angel is going to step on the earth and the sea and basically claims it for God. When you see legs in the Bible, whether it's the image that you see in Daniel or the angel here, the legs always symbolize authority and power. Even in our own physical human bodies, the leg muscles are the strongest muscles that we have in our body. They're the ones that hold us up. And we see that here. But notice John says he held in his hand a little scroll that was open, verse 2. And he put his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. This revelation from God is showing John and us that God is sovereign over all creation and that the message of this little scroll is a universal message. Its scope is going to be worldwide, as we're going to see later on in Revelation chapter 10. Again, speaking of the greatness of God. God is sovereign over everything that he created, you see. And notice this. Then, verse 3, he shouted in a loud voice like a lion roaring. I've had the privilege, I guess you would call it that, of hearing a lion roar. Can I tell you, when you hear an adult lion roar, you will never forget that sound. It literally, like, is one of those sounds that literally, like, gets inside of your very chest. You, you feel it in here. You, you don't just hear it, you feel it. Why is John describing his voice this way? Because it's an authoritative voice that is going to awaken and warn about what's to come. You see, when you and I, like the angel spends time in the presence of God, we come away from there not only changed in some way, 
But we come away from there being commissioned by God and we carry with us an authority and power that comes from the Lord. Therefore, we also carry with us a confidence, if you will, and a composure that comes from the Lord. This is, again, the greatness of our God. These things do not come with, from us. We cannot manufacture these things. These things are given to us as we go out to serve the Lord like the angel did. The voice was like a lion roaring, and when he shouted, the seven thunders sounded their voices. I don't have any idea who the seven thunders are, but I know this. The storm that they illustrate of further judgment is coming, and God is getting ready to continue. When the seven thunders, verse 4, spoke, I was preparing to write, but just then I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders spoke and do not write it down. What does this teach us? It teaches us that some things that God reveals to us is only for us. There are things that God reveals to us, teaches us, shows us that he wants us to share with others. We're going to see that later on in this chapter at the very end. But there's other things that God reveals to us and shows us that he says, that's just for you. That's just for you. Nicole and I go through all that kind of exercise weekly. There's things as our worship leader that she gets from God that goes, okay, God, is that for everyone or is that just between me and you? There's things God gives me. It's like, okay, God, is that just for me or should I share that with the people? We get that. You, you get that too. As we walk with God, there's going to be things that God says to us, speaks to us, and we go, that, that's just for me. There's other things you know, no, God wants me to share that with somebody else or a group or whatever. And you see that here. Verse 5, then I saw the angel standing on the sea and on the land, and he raised his right hand to heaven and swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. There will be no more delay. No more time for the people on earth to repent. No more waiting for God to establish his kingdom. No more delay. One day there's coming an end. Not an end of time, but an end of opportunity. We need to keep that in mind. But I want to say this about verse 5 and 6. The oath that the angel takes emphasizes again the certainty and the immediate inevitability of what he's announcing. God said it. It's as if it already happened. Because again, he is a faithful, reliable, and dependable God. You can swear by no greater than God. And then when he talks about how God created everything in the heaven, everything in the earth, everything in the sea, he's reminding us that the eternal creator can cause whatever he pleases to happen. And then don't miss this. You and I need to spend some time every once in a while just considering and contemplating this. Even with all of our modern instruments, 
Mankind cannot even begin to capture how big the universe is, okay? I mean, you know, when you, when you think about, like, the nearest star and the light from that star that travels 186,000 miles per hour still takes hundreds of years from where it is out there to get to our planet. I mean, it boggles the mind how vast our universe is, and yet God dwarfs and transcends the universe that he made. Think about that. God is so great that he dwarfs the universe that he made. The universe in all of its vastness is nothing compared to God. That's the glory of God. That's the greatness of God. And by the way, going back to his glory, one day you and I are going to be able to stand in the very glorious presence of God in his undiminished glory with a body that will be able to absorb that glory just like the angel. Can you imagine that moment? When we see him and we will be like him, John says, for we will see him as he is. What's that going to be like? Until that day comes, though, I encourage you, get into the presence of God and absorb the glory that you and I can as his followers now because it makes all the difference in the way we live our lives because you and I can absorb the glory of God in his presence in some way. We can be reminded of the greatness of God as we get in there and we begin to see him for who he really is. This is the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and in all of his greatness. Verse 7, in those days when the seventh angel is about to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God is completed, just as he has proclaimed to his servants the prophets. It simply means that the details of God's plan, previously unrevealed in its completed form, has now been completed in the book of Revelation. What God began to reveal about the end of things to the prophets in the Old Testament, he's now wrapped it all up in the book of Revelation, which is why at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 22, he tells John, you say to all people from this day forward, if anyone adds to the words of this book, I will add the plagues of this book to them. If anyone takes any words away from this book, I will take away their right to the tree of life. God takes tampering with his word very seriously because it has now been completed. God has said all he needs to say about his plan for the end. It doesn't tell us all that we want to know, but God has told us as human beings all that we need to know. And most of all, what we need to know is that our God is glorious and that our God is great and that we can rest in him and find our rest in him. Then I heard that voice from heaven, verse 8, began to speak to me again. Go and take open the scroll in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. Now we're going to start transitioning from the 
glory of God and the greatness of God to the gravity of God, the gravity of God that can be absorbed through his word. Notice a couple things. First of all, remember this voice from heaven. I, I, I personally think it's the Lord who's speaking to John. The voice is telling John, John, remember that powerful angel? You go up to him and you take that scroll off of him out of his hand. I don't know about you, but that would take some courage just to walk up to this very intimidating presence. This powerful angel was a mere human being and just take something out of his hand. God wants us to have that kind of boldness under his direction, that, that kind of courage and that kind of confidence as he directs us. Notice something else. God's revelation is never forced upon us. We must take it. So the question God asked me as I was studying this passage is this. Are we taking all that God is offering to us? Are we taking all that God is offering to us? See, God is always wanting to give us more of himself and more of what he has planned and, and, and more of, uh, of the details of things. Are we taking all that God is offering? So I went up to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said, take the scroll. And then eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. The angel is basically saying, absorb, consume the word of God. It reminds me of the verse in Jeremiah where Jeremiah says, as your words came to me, I drank them in, and they filled my heart with joy and happiness because I belong to you, O Lord, the God who rules over all. Is that the way we approach the Word of God? You see, the Word of God needs to be absorbed. It needs to be consumed. Remember the parables where Jesus talks about the soils? And how the word of God can be that seed that just sort of sits on top of the soil and does not penetrate. It's not allowed to get down in. That's part of the problem even amongst many Christians is they hear the word of God, but it never really penetrates the heart and transforms the life. It never makes a difference in the way they live and in their outlook and in their perspective and in how they treat others and on and on and on, because <laughs> they never really absorb it and consume it. God wants us to absorb his word, and the gravity of God is seen through his word, because the angel says, as you eat this word, it's going to be bittersweet. And that is the way God's word is to us as believers. It's bittersweet. It's sweet when you and I consider, again, all the promises and all the wonderful things that you and I 
are blessed and benefited from because of our relationship to Christ, but it's bitter in that we also understand the destiny of those that reject Christ and the reality that awaits them for all of eternity. And all of us as human beings, all of us as Christ followers since the beginning of the church age have always had family members and friends that the reality of what God's word said was sweet to us and sweet maybe thinking about others, but there was also some bitterness there too because... of what may happen if they don't turn to Christ before that opportunity ends. So John says, I took, verse 10, the little scroll from the angel's hand, and I ate it. And it did taste as sweet as honey in my mouth. But then when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. At first, notice the reversal. In the previous verse, Bitter comes first and then sweet. Here, when John eats it, it's actually sweet first and then bitter because it hits him first for himself. Ah, I'm so glad I know the Lord and I'm so glad I know where I'm going when I die and, you know, all those things. But then as he begins to contemplate and consider it a little bit more deeply, it's like, oh my, what awaits those that don't know Christ? Then verse 11. Then he told me, you must, you must prophesy again about many people's nations, languages, and kings. Notice, you must. What is absolutely necessary, God has laid a divine obligation upon John. He has a divine appointment from John. And really, John is being recommissioned here to what God has called him to. Every once in a while, God does that with his servants. He doesn't call us to something different. He just sort of renews our commission because we need to be strengthened and encouraged in what God has already called us to and what we're already doing. Because think about it from John's perspective. Where is John? He's on this penal colony of Rome, this Isle of Patmos, and that's where he's going to spend the rest of his life until he dies. And why is he there? He says in chapter 1, I'm here because of the Word of God and because of my testimony about Jesus. I'm here because I'm suffering, because I spoke up. And yet God wants me to continue to speak. So it's like God is saying, John, just keep on doing what you're doing. Because, John, you don't realize it. But there's even going to be a church 2,000 years after you're dead. This church in Gilbert, Arizona, where people are going to come to study your book, and they're going to be encouraged, and they're going to be strengthened because you are willing to continue to be true to your commission. People down through the ages were touched by the ministry of John, and I want to encourage us today. And this is where we see the gravity of God, even through his word, and also in what God allows us to do. Think about it. Think, think about the important 
work that God entrusts to us as his children. The gravity of it. It's about eternity. eternity. It's about the souls of people. It's, it's about important stuff, significant stuff. And God says, I entrust you with these ministries, with this opportunity of service. That's why no Christian, no matter what God has called us to, should not feel like they're part of something very significant or important because even the smallest thing that God asks us to do, if God is asking us to do it, it is of utmost importance because God is asking us to do it for him. And it affects eternity because of it. It's significant. There's a gravity there to it. And John is realizing that again when the angel tells him, you must do this because this concerns many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Again, this is a message that's going to have a global impact and global influence throughout history. This is no small thing, John. I think about even those of us who are here tonight and those watching over live stream tonight. Most of us sit here with this book in our hands. God entrusts us with this, his word. There's gravity to that. He entrusts us to be the temple of the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. That's pretty important stuff. He asks all of us to go into all the world and share his gospel. He asks all of us to go into all the world and make disciples. Pretty heady stuff. And yet the God of glory and the God who's greater and dwarfs all of creation says, I want you to do it. I'm entrusting this to you. I believe in who I created you to be. I have confidence in who I saved you to be. If you just keep following me and believing in me and trusting in me, you'll be able to accomplish the commission, the appointment, the, the service, the ministry that I've given to you to do. And you will find great fulfillment and satisfaction in it. And you will find great purpose and significance and importance to your life every day because you will be reminded that every day you and I get to get up and we get to live for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have that privilege every day. So here in Revelation chapter 10, what a God. A God who's even renewing the commission of his servant, John, who says, this is what you must do. Let me ask you. Nicole, I'm going to throw you a curveball tonight. I'd like to end with a song tonight, if you don't mind. I'll let that be your choice, you and Ruth. I want to ask you tonight, what is it that God's laid on you? You might say, well, that's good for John. But see, I truly believe God's given every Christian a commission. Every Christian has some kind of appointment, some kind of divine obligation that God 
has gripped your heart with and, and wants us to follow through with? What's that look like? Or let me even reduce it down to this. What is that that you feel you must do? Non-negotiable. The angel comes to John and says, John, you, you let everything else go. You've got to do this. This is the one thing you must follow through with. You've got to do it. What is that right now? I mean, maybe it's not the same thing for the rest of your life, but what right now, because we've talked about even Sunday, now, what is that thing now that you know you're under divine obligation, that you just feel such a sense of, a sense of compulsion, I've got to follow through with this. This is the one thing I've got to focus on. That was John. Because, folks, it doesn't need to be that we have to focus on a ton of things. God many times just wants to narrow the focus of our life just to get us to focus on one thing and do it really well for him. What is the glorious, great God of the universe asking of you tonight and of me tonight? Could we stand? Let me pray. Thank you. Father, we pray tonight that all of us here either in this auditorium or watching at home tonight, would just be, just be in all of you, God. That we would have a renewed sense of awe and admiration and appreciation for who you are, God. And, and for what, what you allow us to be a part of and who you see us to be. God, you... You see us sometimes so differently than we see ourselves. You see such potential in us that we don't ever see in ourselves. You see a greatness in us that many times we don't see in ourselves. And so, God, I pray tonight that just as John had that commission sort of renewed in him to just keep on keeping on, that all of us would have that same inspiration, that same fire within us start to burn again. And that, God, whatever you've asked of us, that we would just renew ourselves to that, whatever it is, and realize, God, that there's nothing that, is, that could ever give our life more dignity or more honor or more significance in just doing what you've asked us to do, to be your servant, God, for the rest of our days. Would you go with us, God, as we end our time in your house, worshiping you again? These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.